0: Hi there Bulldogs, welcome to Career Chat. This is Kylie, your host, an alumnus of DeSales University and a former career ambassador. I am super excited to be hosting this podcast to help provide all of you guys with valuable information relating to career development. Prepare to hear from our professional staff, students, and DeSales professors as we help you explore your interests, develop your skills, and implement a plan for a fruitful career in the future. With that being said, let's get started with this week's episode. All righty. Thank you so much for uh, Zooming in with me, Dr. Given Skeaton. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here and have a conversation with you today around human resource management.
0: So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself um, and kind of where you came from and how you got to DeSales and your uh, career of choice?
1: Okay, so um, I have my PhD in human resources and organizational behavior. Um, my, I, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska originally. Oh, wow. And um, my mom was the director of the childcare center at Creighton University. So I actually got my undergraduate degree in business management at Creighton University. Um, when I graduated from Creighton, I moved to Dallas, Texas, where my sister was living. I lived with her for about three years. My thought was I would, um, you know, get my degree in business management, work for about 18 months, and then go back to grad school. Uh, 18 months quickly turned into three years. It was a lot easier to get up and go to a job that I didn't necessarily love, than it was to actively make a change, which meant, you know, filling out uh, graduate school, Uh, applications and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I finally had enough of uh, being in business 9 to 5. I kind of got tired of having to be somewhere every day from 9 to 5. And so I knew school would give me a little more flexibility. I'd always planned to go back and get a graduate degree. What I knew was I really did not want to get an MBA. And the reason I did not want the MBA is I did not want any more economics, finance, or accounting. Those Mm -hmm. were not classes that I was (laughs) interested in. So I actually reached out to one of my primary professors from Creighton, Dr. Wells, and I told her that I was interested in the kind of courses that she taught, which was largely human resource management and org behavior, and I said, what are my options besides an MBA? And she introduced me to the or field of organizational, industrial organizational psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I then started looking for IO psych programs that I could apply to. And I ended up uh, applying to and getting accepted to St. Mary's University in San Antonio. I took about two years then to get my master's in IO psych. From there, I moved to Houston, worked for about 18 months. Same thing, I kind of find in my journey, I'm a lifelong learner. I love Mm -hmm. to be in school. Yep. So when I'm in school, there's times where I get tired of things constantly hanging over my head because I know I could be doing some sort of project or work or, you know, writing a paper. Mm -hmm. So then I would transition back to the workforce. And then when I'd be in the workforce, I'd get tired of being somewhere from nine to five. So then I'd go back to school. (laughs) That was kind of, yeah, kind of my journey. Um, and then uh, 18 months after getting uh, working in Houston, after getting my master's, I applied for Ph.D. programs. Mm-hmm. And I applied for a Ph.D. program at the University at Albany. It's a part of the SUNY State University New York system. Mm-hmm. And the reason I chose U, U Albany was on the recommendation of another primary professor that I had in my master's program. And he told me, don't get a Ph.D. in IO Psych because you're going to be more limited in terms of what you can do. There is this interdisciplinary program at Albany, and it's called uh, Organizational Studies. And he said, you'll come out with the ability to do everything an IO psych person can do, but more, so that you'll look at the total function of the organization. And that is a program, org studies is housed out of the business school. Mm -hmm. But we take classes in IO psych, industrial sociology, and public administration. Wow. Okay. So it was actually within that IO psych program that I got introduced to my first diversity course. I took a course on uh, women and uh, minorities in work, in the workplace. And that's where I developed a love for the diversity work. So one of my main areas of teaching and research today is diversity. I graduated in 2004 with my PhD, I took a job at St. Joseph's University, which is what brought me to Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and I was at St. Joe's for about eight years, and then I applied for the position and was hired here at DeSales. And so now I've been at DeSales since the fall of 2013, and I am a management uh, professor teaching org behavior, human resource management,
0: and diversity. Awesome. That seems like a really awesome journey. But also, you've been everywhere. So, you, you, Nebraska, Texas, then all the way to New York, and now back in Pennsylvania. So, you, you've seen a lot, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had the ability to experience a lot of different kind of regional areas of the
0: United States. Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, we mm-hmm. like the Northeast. We like the mentality of the people in the Northeast. My husband is a uh, biracial. Our children are biracial. And so there was no desire to be back in the South. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, with that. So just kind of more open-mindedness and kind of acceptance of diversity was important to us.
0: Yeah. And I think the Northeast area is definitely a, a great place for that, specifically near the, near the city populations, being so close to Philadelphia and even in New York, Um, They're wonderful areas. I love it around here too. I could not imagine either moving to the South or the West It is not a place for me. (laughs) So we're here specifically to talk about HR So I feel like one of the questions I know a few people who have been interested in HR and one of the questions they ask is what kind of degree do you need to have? So do you just go get a bachelor's or do you have to go get either a master's or a PhD? And what does that kind of sequence look like?
1: So you would Need a a bachelor's degree. And most of the entry-level HR jobs, you can probably do with just a bachelor's degree. So you could go get a degree in HR, uh, a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science, and that would get you into the door. There are going to be some careers, though, and they're going to be ones that are more at the higher levels of organizations, so more of your director positions or um, uh, vice president positions, where you're probably going to need the master's degree. Um, Just in terms of entry-level jobs, you could get probably something along the lines of a human resource generalist, which Mm you're kind of doing all of the HR functions or activities. And we can talk more about what those are if you want to explore that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, uh, a a generalist would be performing just kind of all of these areas. Or if you had an area that you were really interested in, then you could actually specialize in that area. So that might be something like, I really enjoy recruiting, so I'm gonna get into the recruitment business. Maybe I'll work for like an employment agency where I help organizations find employees that will work for them. Maybe you like kind of teaching people, so maybe something more on the lines of like learning and development would work in that sense. If you are maybe becoming more of what we would call a strategic business partner, so a human resource strategic business partner, somebody that works for HR but then goes out and works with, like, clients, so mainline health would be an example, right? They have an HR department that is providing services to all of the doctor's offices that are underneath their umbrella, but maybe one specific doctor's office needs some help with a specific HR area, then the HR business partner could go out and coordinate and work with that individual. That would probably be more of a master's level position that you would need a master's degree to do. Master's don't necessarily have to be just a master's of science in human resource management. You could get that, but you could also get an MBA with an HR focus or concentration. Mm -hmm. Or you could go out and as I mentioned, there's sort of like areas that are related. You could get a master's in, let's say, learning and development or even a master's in organizational development or organizational change. And all Mm -hmm. of those would then prepare you to kind of work within different areas of the HR world.
0: Okay, perfect. So there's kind of a lot of different routes to get to the same place. You're not limited to just a master's in um, HR per se. So that's good. Yeah, the there's open. yeah a
1: lot of opportunities, and, and I suppose some people will even come in with like a bachelor's in either management or in business admin and be able to get hired into those HR roles, so, okay. so again, kind of the entry level, so the HR would be advantageous, but you would be able to get there even without the specific HR degree with management or a business admin degree. Mm-hmm.
0: So why don't we dig in a little bit to like exactly what the role of someone in HR is. And I know it varies upon companies and how they sort of uh, work, do that. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of what does HR do? I feel like when you think of HR, you think of like the people who are telling you about your benefits and the people who are interviewing you. And there's just so many faces to HR um, and you don't actually know like what's going on behind the scenes.
1: So all organizations are going to approach it somewhat differently. I think what we can say, though, is that all organizations have employees. Mm -hmm. And since all organizations have employees, that means all employers have a need for human resource professionals. Mm -hmm. So that would be common across all. Some organizations will actually perform all of their own human resource management activities while other organizations might actually outsource those responsibilities to companies that specialize in a specific activity or area. So let's say as an HR graduate, you could then become a specialist where you could focus on one specific type of HR activity. For example, recruiting, compensation and benefits, learning and development, labor relations, or even like employment and placement. All of those would be possible. That type of specialization would probably be more common to find in a large organization where there's adequate resources available to fund so many different specializations and where there's enough employees that you can actually create that division of labor in terms of allowing that to make sense. yeah. Smaller organizations, though, are probably going to be smaller, both obviously in terms of the number of employees that work for you, but also in terms of the revenue or the resources available. So for a smaller organization, it would probably make more sense to go out and hire that human resource generalist that we had discussed earlier. Um, Or many times they actually will outsource those functions to a company that does contract-based work in that area. So, an HR generalist would be responsible for for performing a much wider array of human resource management activities, um, including, let's say, writing job announcements, identifying where you need to post those specific ads, Mm -hmm. um, developing an applicant pool through recruitment strategies or efforts, reviewing resumes, checking references, Administering application or job performance tests as a part of the screening process that comes in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Interviewing the candidates once you identified kind of from the applicants who you were interested in pursuing further. Um, and then if you choose to hire that person kind of overseeing the compensation and benefits administration that would be necessary, uh, conducting any kind of training and or development programs that you were going to be delivering to your employees. And of course, HR is always going to be there as an advocate for employees. So they're always going to serve as employee advocates, which might mean that they actually need to get involved and help employees to resolve their complaints that they have.
0: Interesting. I feel like there's so many roles. And as someone who like goes in to get interviewed for a job, we don't think about what other things that person is doing, because um, there's so many other things at play. Like when I got hired for St. Luke's, I had one person interview me, I had another person coordinate my training, and then I had another person who helped coordinate like benefits and like all that kind of stuff. So there were so many people at play. It was hard to sort of kind of keep track, but that's what you see in larger organizations that have um, adequate resources to have a larger HR network and the specialization that they have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that, um, you know, if you work for a large organization and you have a specific area, like for me, comp and benefits would never be of interest. It's just Mm -hmm. not something where I would want to spend 40 hours of my life each week involved, but I love teaching. So training Mm -hmm. and development would be perfect. So I know that if I wanted to be able to specialize in that, I would probably be looking at targeting a larger organization where that were possible. Um, if I kind of enjoyed a variety of different activities and wanted to be involved sort of from step one of uh, recruitment all the way through onboarding somebody, then being with a smaller organization where I could have more continuity would make a lot of
0: sense. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense too. So moving on a little bit to how can students prepare for a career in HR? So I know you said that um, some uh, careers in HR are getting more competitive. Um, when we spoke last time, so how can students sort of make sure that they're ready and that they're putting their best face forward um, When they're applying for these positions?
1: Sure, so as we talked about most of these are going to be at least a bachelor's to get in mm-hmm. So in addition though to pursuing your undergraduate or as we said some positions might require a graduate degree so in addition to earning your undergraduate or to graduate degree in either human resource management or in an HR-related field or specialty, there um, are probably going to be a lot of advantages to pursuing the career if you take a specialized exam, like a licensing or a certification exam. Um, So in order to illustrate your human resource competence, right now there's kind of two different areas where you can take these. There is a professional body or organization called the Society for Human Resource Management, also known as SHRM, S-H-R-M. And SHRM offers one certification. Um, There's more information about that exam that somebody who is interested in learning about it could go to the SHRM.org, S-H-R-M.org website and find out more specific information about the SHRM certification exam. Mm -hmm. There is also, though, another one that is very common. If you look at kind of the initials that follow somebody's name, um, like for me, for instance, you would see Susan Givens Skeeton, Ph.D. Sometimes you'll see things like PHR at the end. And what that means is that 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 individual um, has earned a professional and human resource certification oh. from the HR Certification Institute. So I've seen you that have SHRM. I have thought
0: about it. I've seen yeah. it I'm on people and I'm like, what does that mean? And I've never looked it yeah. up, so I'm learning.
1: <laughs> yeah, so what that actually means is that's telling employers that are looking to hire an HR person this person has is, is actually passed a competency exam that's administered by, as I said in this case, the HR Certification Institute. And that just gives them the assurance that this person doesn't only have the degree, but they have specialized knowledge and they've been able to successfully demonstrate that knowledge by passing these certification exams. Mm-hmm. So you could look for somebody then that has the either SHRM CP certification exam or the, as I said, PHR um, And those would be good indications that you have more. So I think if you really are serious about wanting to end up in HR, you get your undergrad or your graduate degree, but you also invest time and energy and money in taking one of the certifications so that that then gets attached and they say, well, you're certainly somebody that has the knowledge and the competence and, you know, we'd be more interested in hiring you as a function of that.
0: Mm -hmm. So also, are there any organizations, so say a student's um, either applying for graduate school, but they're looking to join some organizations or something that they can sort of start networking in, um, are there any organizations that students could uh, look into?
1: Yeah, I would say if students are starting to prepare for their career in human resource, in addition to taking the classes, they really should consider joining the local chapter of Society for Human Resource Management, again, the SHRM that I just mentioned, or the American Society for Training and Development, known as ASTD, because offering these professional organizations will actually provide students with an opportunity to network with professionals currently working in the HR world. Um, And so that's going to be obviously very helpful, getting uh, a foot in the door. Um, in addition to that, they should probably make sure that they're creating their LinkedIn uh, account and look for people that are currently working in human resource management or if not specifically in HR, look for people that work in a company or an organization that you're actually interested in joining mm-hmm. and start connecting with those people. One suggestion that we get from Kristen Eichholz from DeSales Career Development Center, which I think is important is don't just send out a generic LinkedIn invite, but personalize it or specialize it so that yeah. they'll understand why you're reaching out to them. So explain what's what you, what your sort of objective is in mm-hmm. connecting with them on LinkedIn. Um, so SHRM, ASTD, there's others as well, but you can get a student rate. So as a student, they're highly discounted rates, definitely worth, worth the money. You don't have to pay what a full member would pay until you graduate.
0: Mm-hmm. Perfect. So now say that um, a student is interviewing for a position. What kind of qualities are these employers? It's kind of like HR interviewing what would be HR, which is kind of ironic. But what qualities are they looking for when they're hiring for HR that is kind of aside from what you would see in like the certification?
1: So as, as we've discussed, HR is really all about interaction. Mm -hmm. So you're an advocate for employees, you're interviewing employees, you're training employees, you're resolving complaints or problems that employees have. So I'd say if we think about the fact that this is work that is going to be interactive in nature, obviously good interpersonal skills becomes critically important. And by interpersonal, I'm going to include in there the ability to actively listen. You have to be able to listen to what people are saying, and maybe sometimes you need to be able to pick up on things that they're not overtly saying, but that, you know, maybe there's, it's being alluded to, or there's some sort of uh, less obvious connection. Um, I think that it also means that you have to be able to communicate effectively with people, both verbal and oral communication skills would be critically important in those situations. Um, HR uses a lot of kind of analytics, and so probably having some competencies in terms of uh, data analysis mm-hmm. and interpretation would also be helpful.
0: Great. So um, I'm going to throw this question at you. I know this isn't one that you prepared, but I'm kind of curious. So I know you teach a, a class on diversity. So how, how do you feel diversity plays into HR? And sort of what improvements do you think HR professionals should be making towards diversity?
1: I think diversity is critically important to HR. In Mm -hmm. fact, um, as we start to look at curriculum review, I would like to make diversity a required course for any HR majors. And in fact, at the MBA level, I think it's required because we can't have leaders that don't understand diversity. So our MBA students should all be required to take a course in it as well. Where I would say that it plays in is um, a a couple different places. As human beings, we all have inherent biases. Many times they're implicit. We're not even aware that we possess them or hold them. Um, And we need to make ourselves more acutely aware of what biases we might hold so that we make sure that we're kind of just double-checking ourselves and being fair to all applicants. Mm -hmm. So HR is going to do a couple of things. They're going to be responsible for interviewing and hiring. They're going to be also responsible for something like performance review or performance appraisal. We have a lot of common what we call rating biases that exist within us. And so if I've got somebody in HR, but I haven't adequately trained them on common rating biases, and they go out to interview somebody, they may kind of just say, "Well, I don't know. I really just connected with Kylie. Like she and I just really seemed to get along. We had a good rapport. There was a good, uh, good, you know, um, relationship that was evolving between us."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, maybe it's because you and I are both white women, and as humans, we tend to be more comfortable around people that are similar to us. Mm-hmm. And so, we need to make sure that we're making people aware of that. We also want to make sure that if we're going out and we're trying to hire, maybe black indigenous people of color, the BIPOC group, that we're not sending just whites in to do that, that we need to have people that mirror and reflect the applicant that is sitting across from us. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it becomes critically important. Um, Understanding too that we are constantly being inundated with different messages And if we're not aware of maybe what our biases might mean around those messages, then we're not going to be giving people a fair shake.
0: Mm -hmm. Last thing
1: is that uh, many groups that aren't white males, heterosexual, cisgender, um, you know, sort of uh, even Christian privilege, like all of those exist in our culture. That's just the reality. And what we find is that people that don't fit into those specific demographic groups, oftentimes experience what we call um, access discrimination and also treatment discrimination. So there are plenty of uh, studies that show that if you take a resume that has an African-American sounding name, and then you have one that has a white sounding name, the white applicants are going to get a lot more calls for interviews than the black sounding name. Mm -hmm. And that even translates when you have information about uh, criminal history, such that whites with criminal history are more likely to get calls for interviews than African Americans with criminal histories. So these would just be kind of illustrations of where people working in HR need to be aware of that research, and they need to be aware of access and treatment discrimination, and maybe... Different strategies that could be employed to improve what we call inclusive hiring,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and also inclusive development and promotional opportunities as well.
0: I think that you are spot on with all of that. I think that um, requiring a diversity course should be something that should be required for all majors, <laughs> not just business. I think that you know it's all it's all about the education and the recognition of biases. And you know, the longer you shy away from it, the, the harder it is. Um, but it makes it so much more enlightening. Like I remember when I first started learning about like all these biases, I led a very sheltered life. And then going into college, I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many people who even in like the employer realm are not getting the same opportunities as I am, simply based on um, something that they cannot control. And so I think we all need to make a continued effort to make that kind of the forefront of our minds. So I, I appreciate you working hard on continuing that as well.
1: I can't tell you how heartened I am to hear that you're passionate about it as well, because that's what we need. We need passionate advocates mm-hmm. to move the conversation forward and to recognize um, that we do have... And my level of competence, my cultural competence did not, it's not something I was born with. It's something that I've spent a lot of years investing time and energy in, in terms of developing. And this competence is not a destination. It's a journey. I'm still learning every day. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think is critically and crucially important. And we need to see a lot more people doing, which is why I'm glad that we've recently hired an associate vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion at DeSales. And Excited to see what uh, Scott Blair is going to be able to do in that realm, in that space, in terms of just pushing the cells to being a more inclusive and uh, equitable
0: mm-hmm.
1: institution. So I'm excited to see where we go from here.
0: Yeah, I actually, funnily enough, uh, last week I did an interview with him. It was... Uh an hour long, question filled, very passionate interview, and it was amazing. He had so many, so many good thoughts. So I'm excited to to publish that one as well. Um, he's he's really great. Really excited um, to be so involved into Sales University, and I'm so happy to have him here too. Um, I am I am excited as
1: well. I've had the opportunity to work with him uh, on a few different things, and I'm excited to see where we go. Uh, One thing I do want to throw in, so, you know, there's the formal diversity course that you can take, which I think is obviously important to get enrolled and learn about something in a classroom environment. But at the undergraduate level, I also have my students engage in something that uh, I refer to as an immersion experience. And I actually got this idea from one of the leading scholars in the diversity area that I used to work with when I was at St. Joe's by the name of Derek Avery, And what uh, Dr. Avery had had done was on three separate occasions in the undergrad level, the students have to engage with a subculture with which they're not familiar. And it really does provide, I think, what I'm hearing from students every time is that was the most meaningful group project they've done throughout their entire college experience. And um, for many of us that are whites and in, in sort of the dominant culture, it's our first time of, being a minority and entering into, you know, a space where we're not the numeric majority at that point and being able to then understand maybe the trepidation or fear that people that don't belong to the numeric majority might have on a daily basis. So for instance, African Americans sometimes being the only African American in the room and being maybe acutely aware of that fact, whereas As white people, that's just not our experience. I don't walk into a room and recognize, like, that I'm white. In fact, I can leave my house, and that thought never comes up to me at all Mm -hmm. during the day that I'm white. It's just not something that lives in my sort of conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. But for somebody like my husband, that is something he's aware of every day that he leaves the house, that Mm -hmm. he's aware of how he's maybe being perceived or uh, interpreted by other people. So I'd say... Other than the formal educational experience of taking a course in diversity, open up your own networks. Actively seek out people that have a different lived experience from your own. Engage in honest and genuine conversations and listen to the experiences that they have. And I think most crucially important is just because it's not your lived experience does not mean it's not a valid experience. So don't discount or invalidate just because you haven't experienced it yourself.
0: I think that is a wonderful way to wrap up. And I think that sentiment is just so true. We need to learn to listen to each other and learn from each other's experiences. And that ties into our professional world and our personal world. Um, You know, we can't just say that something's not happening just because it's not happening to us. More importantly, people's lives are at stake. And also they're trying to, you know, get a profession and like lead a wonderful life. And there are so many barriers that are currently in place that we need to work on within HR, within business, within healthcare, within all the fields that we really need to put, put our foot forward and continuing to educate ourselves as well.
1: I'll just leave you with one last thought as it relates to those different areas that you just spoke about. We also know that when people experience discrimination in the workplace, they suffer adverse health consequences as a mm-hmm. function of that. So it's not just the idea that, you know, what happens in work stays at work and, and our worlds don't intersect in other ways. Our worlds constantly intersect. And so experiencing access or treatment discrimination does have adverse health consequences for individuals.
0: So Absolutely. I, I
1: want to leave that idea there as well that we really do need to be aware of that things don't happen within silos or vacuums, that what happens in one aspect or facet of our life has the ability to greatly impact what we experience in other facets or areas of our life. And we spend the majority of our wake time with our jobs within work organizations. So making sure that we're creating organizations that are culturally competent and aware and supportive of all employees to self-actualize, inclusive, in other words, becomes critically important.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Givenskeetan, for all of this wonderful information. Um, how can students get in touch with you if they have any further questions?
1: So you can, uh, probably easiest just amid COVID is to email me. Mm-hmm. So my email address is Susan, S-U-S-A-N, dot G-I-V as in Victor, E-N-S hyphen S-K-E-A-T-O-N at DeSales.edu. So as you know, we're leaving campus here next week and we won't be back until February. So email is probably the best way. Look me up on the DeSales website under the business faculty and you'll find my email there as well.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much once again. All right. Thanks a lot, Kylie. All righty, everyone. Firstly, I would love to thank Dr. Given Skeeton for introducing me to the world of human resource management. This is a field and a career that I knew not much about prior to this conversation, but the one thing that seemed to be so interesting about it is that you can really hone in on what you enjoy within human resource management and find a position that is tailored to that. So there's so many options within the field, and I think that's a really awesome thing about a career in HR. Secondly, I would love to thank Dr. Givenske for mentioning diversity within HR. It has come up in podcasts before with Scott Blair about hiring processes and how we can make and ensure that our companies and organizations are diverse and, and more importantly, inclusive as well. With that being said, you guys, I hope you all have a wonderful week.